0: Jack and I like to watch movies and this past week we rented on demand Ford versus Ferrari. I loved it. It's the story of how Ford Motor Company engaged Carroll oh, Shelby and Ken Miles to build the perfect race car that could beat Ferrari in the toughest endurance race in the world, the Le Mans in France. To do that, they had to build not only the perfect race car for that track, but they also had to have the right driver who knew the track, who knew how to race it, who knew how to push the car, who knew what the car needed, and that's where Ken Miles came in. And so for months, Ken Miles showed up every day, they started with a car that they imported from overseas and he got in it on a track and he tweaked it and he reinterpreted the way the brakes should work and the way this should work and he reapplied techniques and he remodeled the car and then he'd get out and race it again and then he'd tweak something else and he showed up every day in good conditions in bad conditions, on days when he felt like he learned something, on days when he felt like he didn't learn anything, and he kept at it, and he kept at it. And then he studied the track in Le Mans, and he'd go to different places that had those pieces of the Le Mans track so that he could try the car on that, and then he discovered that didn't quite work. And he had to learn how to push the car around curves, how far he could stretch it out and push it on the straightaways, and he worked day in and day out. One night uh, he's sleeping, he wakes up in the middle of the night and he sees the light on in his son's room and he goes in and asks his son what he's doing and his son has a map that he's drawn of the Le Mans track based on what his dad has been telling him and he's got the markings that his dad has about this curve and that straightaway and what the cars might be doing that he's got to deal with on the track and he, his dad asks to see it and they walk through it together and he says, this is pretty good. He said, you know what son... To win Le Mans, I've got to race the perfect lap. I've got to at least do one perfect lap if I'm going to win it. And then he asked his son, can you see it? Can you see that perfect lap out there? I've never raced it. I've never done a perfect lap, but I believe it's doable. Do you? Can you see it? His son, a little, he knows his dad can see it. and He wants to see it, so he says, I think so. His dad said, good Most people can't see it, so they never go after it. Today, we're going to talk about this book and about how this book can enable us to run the perfect lap. So let's pray. God, we want to run with patience the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We want to have encounters with you that are life-changing, that show us who we are in you, who you created us to be, who you call us to be, and who we are together and who you are to us. And so, God, we ask that you speak to us this morning. You would teach us how to use Scripture as an entryway, as a portal, as a way of showing up for you until your story so becomes a part of ours that we encounter you unmasked and have a perfect lap in our walk with you. Invite us into your story in a way that engages us so that we might know you and be known by you. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our psalm for today says that those who walk in the path of life will find life if they walk in the law of the Lord, if they keep God's testimonies, if we respect God's righteous judgments, if we seek God with our whole heart. I don't know about you, but I want to have life. I want to have life more abundantly. I want to know what it means to live as a human being the way God intended me to live. In community, as a whole person in whom the Spirit of God breathes moment by moment. Can you see that? Can you imagine what it would be like to live like that? The scripture actually tells us that's possible. That it's possible to race the perfect lap and that this book is a tool for entering that space. The challenge we have is that most of us do not choose this as our primary choice for reading materials when we have extra time. If we're honest, we don't. Why? Well, because it's hard to understand. It's written about cultures and people who lived a long time ago, and and we don't always understand that. Sometimes I think we don't read it because it's been used as a weapon against us. And when we open the pages, we're used to hearing shame and guilt. And so we'd just rather not. We've been told a lot of things about what this book is. And this morning, I want to invite you to engage Scripture as a living, sacred, dynamic, non-static story of the salvation of God For all humanity and creation. Hebrews tells us that the word of God, when we encounter it, we can encounter it through scripture. We can encounter it in the living incarnate word of Christ. We can encounter the word of God in nature, in the beauty of music, in art, in drama, We can encounter the word of God that's alive and living in the moments of intimacy when we are totally unmasked and surrender to another person in openness. The word of God, when we encounter it, whether through scripture or something else, is alive and active. It's sharper than a two-edged blade and able to cut between soul and spirit joint and marrow, and judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. I don't think many of us encounter that kind of experience when we read this. And yet, that is God's invitation to encounter the Word of God through Scripture. So let's talk for a minute about why Scripture is a living, non-static, dynamic story and not some of the other things we've been told about it. This book is inspired. 2 Timothy tells us that all scripture is inspired by God and useful for instruction and training in righteousness. Inspired does not mean that this book is inerrant. It means without error. It does not mean that God took over somebody's hand, put them in a trance and dictated what they were to write. Nor does it mean that it's supposed to be taken literally in all of its context. Some people would say that was blasphemous. But we need to deal with that. This book is not without error. Why? Because it's not a science book. Right? And so if you take it as a science book, you'll get scientific error. Because that's not what it is. It's also not a history book. And if you take it as a history book, you will find historical error in it. Now, that does not mean it doesn't deal with history. It is a book about salvation. And so it talks about the meaning of history, how we were created, why we were created, who created the universe, and why was the universe created, what happened that things went wrong. It, it tries to help us understand the occurrence of what we call sin, of this Change in human beings who decided they wanted to be more like God than human beings inspired, God filled beings who were dependent on God, and the havoc that wrecked in the world so that there's suffering and disease. And it talks about that. And then it talks about the nature of this God who created us in the universe, which is love. Love so overwhelming, so unrelentless, beyond what we can fathom, that God could not leave us in creation in that state. And so throughout history, God has been acting in individuals and through groups of people and through communities to redeem us all of humanity and creation, and that culminates in the coming of God in human flesh, in history, in a particular point in time to a particular people so that God could redeem the whole world. It's a living, breathing, active story of salvation. And it tells us that the perfect lap is possible that it's actually possible because of the work of Christ and now the Holy Spirit within us for us to live as God intended for us to live in full communion with the God who is in us so that we live and breathe and have our being in a way that is informed by the God who created us. John Wesley talked about that. He called it perfection. He actually believed that perfection was possible in this life, maybe just in glimpses, Or maybe all the time. There's a point in the movie in which the son asks Ken Miles, Dad, can you run a perfect lap every time? The dad says, I don't know, but I'm going to try. And scripture invites us to try because it's possible. The mystics called it union. It's actually possible to have all pretenses stripped away in this life so we live and move and have our being. In God, in a way that God intended. And we embody the love of God in human form in the world. And this text is a portal for doing that. It's an entryway. It's it's a story that allows us to enter it and engage with it so that our story becomes informed by it. It has error in it because it's not perfectly written. God didn't take over someone's hand. And so the people who wrote it had an experience with God. They had a moment of a perfect lap in which they encountered the living God in a way that was transformative. And so they try to put that in language that human beings can understand. And any time you're dealing with the transcendent, with the ineffable, you limit it because human language cannot fully describe or contain the divine. And so we speak in metaphor. We speak in sacred story. This is not a science book. It's not a history book. It's also not a rule book. It's a living story about salvation. There are some rules in it. There are some commandments with general application, like the Ten Commandments. Love God and love neighbor. If you look at them, that's what they're all about. There are also some rules like purity codes and household codes and ways of creating community after having come out of a slave context that are specifically designed for that track, for that community, because of particular needs of that community. They're also encased in the understanding of that community in terms of their knowledge at the time. So to say that those rules are the ordinances of God for all people is to misuse and misunderstand this text. Just like Ken Miles had to work on that car and tweak it for every different track, had to understand the corners and the turns of every track, God comes to us in the particular of our lives in our context, and speaks to us there. God came as a particular person in a historical moment in time so we understand that God incarnates throughout history to speak to us in our context. So I invite you to engage this book, not as science, not as history, not as a rule book, but as a living, sacred ...story that is alive, that adapts, that changes. Well, how do I get that? Well, first of all, it comes from an oral tradition. The scriptures were originally told orally... ...to various communities in various forms... ...in order to take what God had said to a particular group of people... ...an encounter that someone had with God... ...and apply it to the particular needs of that community. It's written this story... Most of the Old Testament is written looking backwards. The Old Testament, for the most part, was written to the exiles in Babylon who were trying to figure out why they were there, why had this happened to him. And so they look back. Why were we created? How has God been active? What happened? Why are we here? Is there redemption possible? And the story is told to address that issue. Jesus comes along and watch in our own text. You've heard it said, but I say. He reapplies and reinterprets the Old Testament to the current situation. The four Gospels, read them sometime. They're different. They have some of the same stories, and some have unique stories. And then sometimes the stories that they share are told in a different order. Why? Because the point is not to create a historical timeline. The point is to take the incarnation of God in Jesus and apply it to the needs of a particular community that was, were facing particular issues so that the story of God's interaction with humanity remains alive. To say that this book is inerrant is, doesn't make sense because we're dealing with literary genres like poetry, and parable. In our New Testament text for today, we have hyperbole. <laughs> Jesus isn't telling you to cut off your hand, he's using hyperbole to make a point. And so to say air, it's air, it doesn't have error or it does makes no sense when you're talking about those kinds of literary genres. This is a living text. Where else do I get that idea of story from? Well, it's, Africa, it's Black History Month, and you've heard the choir sing various spirituals and other music out of the African-American tradition. I want you to take this home and read it. I'm not going to read it all this morning. I'll read a piece of it. But this is from the Reverend Dr. James Cone, who's probably one of the most um, prestigious uh, black liberation theologists of our time, and perhaps all time. And he talks about how we have taken the story of God and taken the life out of it by turning it into a set of systemic rules and concepts that are separated from concrete reality. But in the African-American tradition, it's about story. It's about where is God in this moment of oppression as an enslaved people, just as it was a story for the Hebrew people. And so God is inviting us into this book as sacred story to read it as the story of God's love, a love story of God's interaction throughout time with people in the very specific context of who they are and what their needs are in the moment. This Lent I want to invite you into the discipline of reading scripture. It is a discipline just like Ken Miles had to show up every day and study the track. Just like Ken Miles had to show up every day and tweak the car. Show up when he felt like it. Show up when he didn't feel like it. Show up when he learned something, when he didn't feel like he didn't learn something, so that when the time came, he could actually run the perfect lap. He could race it. Ken finally does get to Le Mans. He's practiced. He's been there every day. This is his moment. But things go wrong from the start. He gets in the car, and as they cross the starting line, his door won't open. It stays open. He can't get it to shut. And so he's trying to race, and the door's doing this, and he keeps pulling it, and he gets farther and farther behind until finally the lead car, the Ferrari, is two laps ahead of him. Something that's probably impossible to catch up. He finally pulls around into the pit. The only way they can keep the door shut is to take a sledgehammer and make it so the door won't even open. And he takes off again and then there's weather conditions and there's wrecks in front of him. and He spins out a couple of times and has to keep going. They have to exchange his brakes at one point and it looks like all is lost. But remember he's practiced. He's shown up every day. He knows this car. He knows this track, and he knows how far he can push it. His son is watching the television at home in the U.S. with his mom. And they're watching, and they're all in despair. And so Carol Shelby knows that unless Ken does something that nobody else is willing to do, go from 6,000 RPMs to 7,000 RPMs, which could tear the car apart... He doesn't have a chance. And so as Ken's starting to come around past the pit again, Carroll Shelby writes on this big poster, 7,000 RPMs, go for it. And he holds it up. And when Ken sees it, he says, all right, here we go. Perfect lap. This is it. And he hits the gas pedal and everybody's watching and at home his wife is going what is he doing and his son is getting excited mom he's going to run the perfect lap and sure enough he takes that car way beyond 7,000 RPM. He knows when to press on the gas pedal. He knows when to ease up. He knows how to take that corner. He knows what, how to get around the cars in front of him. And before you know it, he has passed the leader twice. And his son at home goes, Mom, he did it. He ran the perfect lap. If you heard Ken describe it, here's what he said. There comes a point It's 7,000 rpms when everything fades away. The machine becomes weightless and just disappears and all you have is a body moving through space and time. 7,000 rpms. That's when you meet it. You feel it coming It creeps up on you, close in your ear, and then it asks the question, the only question that matters, who are you? God is inviting us into God's sacred story because God wants us to race a perfect lap to prepare ourselves, to study day and night, to dig deep, to show up even when it feels like nothing's happening, and invite God's story to become our story. And there will come a moment, 7,000 RPMs, when we are stripped of all of our pretenses, when we see God face to face, when we see ourselves in one another, even if just for a single lap, and we know the answer to that question of who we are and who God is and who we are together, and we know that the day is coming when every lap will be the perfect lap because we'll sit at this table together and we will see one another as we are. Beloved children of God, all of one family. And we will know God even as we are known by God because we will be who God created us to be. The perfect laugh. Can you see it? Go for it. Amen.